that, my friends, is a musical introduction to today's theme, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We aren't talking about spaghetti westerns, but rather a valuable process to help school leaders get an honest snapshot of what's working, what's not working, and most importantly, what to do about it. My guests are two incredible educational leaders and human beings, and you'll be tapping into over 100 years of leadership experience in today's show. Well, hello, Jackie and Kevin. What a reunion this is. Indeed. Nice to see you. Good to see y'all as well. It's been a while. Yeah. Well, we always like to start with celebration. So what are each of you celebrating today? Well, I'll jump in. Uh, <laughs> I've um, just finished my second detective novel and it, writing it, I should say that. Um, and it's the eighth book I've written in the last two years. So I celebrate that. Wow, that's awesome. I'm still working on finishing up, getting my first one through that process after the first draft. Kevin? Uh, so actually, I'm in Hilton Head today. I'm uh, surprising one of our um, directors for our school district, uh, Stephanie Wallace, is being named the South Carolina Literacy Administrator of the Year at a conference down here. Awesome. So yep, exciting. She, she uh, does not know why I'm here, but she's going to find out here pretty soon. <laughs> well, I, I've met her, so um, do give her my kind regards and tell her it's absolutely well-deserved. Will do. And, and yes, yes, it definitely is. So start with you, Jackie. Is there a story that kind of inspires you to do the work that you do? For me, it's always about children and young people. I love the openness and the willingness of children and young people to learn something new and over a very long lifetime in education. I really have many stories, but the most recent one I would say is a little girl that I met when I was at our local radiology clinic for an x-ray. Um, and she was sitting with her mom and she had some books on her lap. And I looked over at her because she was kind of watching me. And I said, I see you like books. She said, yes, with such confidence. And I said, how old are you? And she said, three. And her mom said, oh, honey, you're only two and a half. And she looks at me and says, she has older brothers. They're always the next year. And I said, well, I'm glad that you like to read books because I'm a writer. And it was the first time for me that I actually owned being a writer of creative fiction. And it's those interactions with children and young people that remind me of our humanity. As adults, we put on lots of faces. And I think I would you know, knowing the nature of this podcast, I would say that really one of the most important things for people who are in school leadership positions is pay attention to the people, the children and young people. They have many messages to give us. And we sometimes think as adults, we're the ones with the answers. Um, we might be, but they equally could be. Thank you. Kevin, do you have a story? Uh, not a specific one. Um, I'll just say that even 
as a teenager, um, I remember having an influence on younger cousins, family members. Uh, I was a camp counselor at one point, and you know, when when you see that you're able to bring about a positive change in in a child, that is one of the most rewarding things there is. And you know, when when you get into this business, um, being able to see the the positive change that you make for you know where I am now as, as adults and children is is it's a powerful thing and it's it's what keeps me going to work every day um, and I you know I don't want to get you know I don't want to squirrel on you and get down to teacher recruitment and retention but um, I think one of the challenges for for teachers these days in this era of accountability is that you know we're hyper focused on test scores and teachers lose sight of the other positive impacts they're making on kids and 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 they're too focused as the system is on <clears throat> you know student achievement as measured by a standardized test which is really not you know what 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 we should be focused on well thank you for that and i just want to point out to listeners this is coming from a school superintendent <laughs> that reminding us that it really is about the kids and about those interactions. And I know there's a lot of talk about mental health and and the stresses on on adults and children in schools. And I always think one of the antidotes to that that we don't talk about is making sure that we're recognizing and celebrating those moments when we do make that difference for the kid, when we have that interaction and we see a light bulb goes up that goes on, um, I, you know, that that's really powerful medicine for all of us. I think one, an important point to that too, though, is remembering that schools are the safest places for many of the children and young people that come to us. Their homes are chaotic, their communities are chaotic, and they come into maybe an overstructured environment sometimes, but they feel safe and they count on teachers to be that safe haven for them. And in terms of their mental health in today's world, it's even more critical in my opinion, because they need that safe haven. And so many, many, many teachers give that to children and young people. I think that's a great point, Jackie, and that's, that actually segues right into today's conversation because today we're talking about culture, and part of what you're talking about is the classroom culture that teachers create for kids, and part of what we want to talk about here is the school culture that we create for kids, but also for the teachers and for the adults. And I want to begin with asking about what do we mean when we say school culture? So I'm going to ask each of you to define school culture in one to three sentences, understanding that if we had 10 people here, we get 10 different definitions. So there's not a right or wrong, but I think it's important for listeners to hear how you um, perceive school culture. Kevin, do you want to kick us off? That's a tough one. Um, so it's really the the shared values and beliefs of students, staff members, parents, the community. Um, you know, it's 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 just that shared, you know, 
overall uh, being of, of how people interact with each other on a day-to-day basis. And um, it's, it's even in a small school district, it is very different from school to school, even schools that are two miles apart. Um, but it's, it's, it's really hard to put your finger on. Uh, so that's, that's a tough question for me. Yeah. Thank you, Jackie. Well, I find myself thinking about how many times over the years we've asked teachers and school leaders to develop mission statements. And sometimes they become an exercise in completion for the sake of doing it. And yet that mission really does drive who you think you are in that building, not in your district, in that building. And every semester, we would review our mission plan, not rewrite it, but review it. And the first time I did that, a teacher came over to me afterwards and said, are we gonna have to do this again? And I said, we're not rewriting the mission statement. We are a different group. We have new children. We have new teachers. We have a new staff member. Do we all still believe this? Or do these people who are new to us bring us a perspective we didn't have before? So for me, the important thing about culture is the fluidity of it and recognizing that it is not stagnant. It is totally dependent on the people who are in that place at that time. Thank you. And it's interesting because I, I think my view of culture is part somewhere in between what both of you talked about. And I always think of organizations as as being something that we need to align, right? Taking that purpose, which you talked about, Jackie, captured in that mission statement. And Kevin, you talked about, I think, in terms of values and beliefs, right? Those things go into our purpose. And then thinking about the structures that we have in our school, both the formal and informal structures and the way we allocate resources, and then all of those people. And I like to think about culture as being reflective of the degree to which we have alignment between those things. And so when we have structures that support teachers in the work that they need to do, and when we're able to allocate resources to teachers so that they can do that work, and when teachers have the skills that they need, then we we have a situation where the organization is informing and supporting those values and the beliefs that we've expressed um, that we hold. So- and I would I'd like to just jump in on that and say that the kind of main topic we're here to discuss today is a critical element in that. Because if we don't talk to each other and we don't listen to what other people's beliefs are, we don't ever reach that common culture. Jackie, did you read my outline for this conversation? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> Of course, you taught me how to do so much of this work, so it's not surprising. So that that's exactly where we wanted to go. As leaders, I think we're predisposed towards taking action. But as you noted, the, one of the most powerful things that we can do is to listen. And so you've both used the tool that the tool process that we're going to talk about today to help focus your listening. And I'd like to dig into that. So. Kevin, do you want to give an overview of the tool and and an example of how we used it, how you've used it, and then and then we'll take it over to Jackie. Well, well, sure. And uh, in fact, I'll tell you the 
the first time I used it was, uh, you know, Jackie taught me the process when I was a, when I was a principal at, at North Aiken elementary. And, um, you know, <clears throat> the idea is that you want to, you want to create a formal way of collecting feedback from teachers, um, in a manner where they are reflecting with each other, talking with each other. And it, it's not about, you know, admin to teachers, but teacher to teachers in terms of these conversations. And as we all know, uh, too often the squeaky wheel gets the grease, so to speak. And um, those people in your in your building or your district that whine and complain that won't change do so very loud and clear. And and one of the great things about the good, the bad, and the ugly process is that it, it does away with the squeaky wheel because uh, one of the first things that you do is you put um, the people in your building into groups of four or five people and you have them come to consensus on the good, what is working. Uh, they have to, they have to agree, you know, on, on what those things are. And it, you know, I've done it where you've, you've come up with five or you've come up with three good things, the bad. So what's not working. Um, and then the ugly is actually uh, solutions. Uh, I called it the good, the bad and the ugly after a Clint Eastwood movie. Uh, Jack, Jackie called it something else when she taught it to me, but I'm like, yeah, I can't live with that name. I'm, I'm going to have to have something <laughs> I can remember. So um, the good, the bad and the ugly. So anyway, the idea is, again, you, you put people together in groups of four or five that come to consensus on, on what's working, what's not working, and then they provide you solutions to what's not working. Uh, then you, you, you collect those statements. Uh, you, Type them out. Uh, you you do a qualitative sort on on topics. Uh, you share um, what everybody said back to the entire staff, so everybody can see what was said. Uh, then you create a strategic plan based on that that qualitative sort uh, using the solutions that the staff came up with, and uh, you deliver that back to the team. And um, I've done that since two thousand and I'm about to date myself two thousand. Three, 2004, I think was the first year that I, I did it. And I've been doing it ever since with uh, district staff and, and very large districts. I've done it with, um, you know, groups of, of teachers, with teacher forum, um, you know, things. Of, so I've done it in, in large settings and, and relatively small settings. And it's it, it hasn't failed me yet since since then. So thank you, Jackie, for that that powerful tool. Well, Can I, I want to jump in and just ahead. build a couple things. Yeah. Because there are things I want to point out to listeners to make sure that they, um, they get. So I advocate a lot of times using the five minute coaching process to do an informal pulse check and just ask people how they think things are going for themselves or, or for their teams. That's an informal process. And I love this because it is a structured formal process that, everybody is going to get to see the results of that and and the idea that you're taking you're taking the pulse of or looking at the concerns of of everybody in the organization and so this really is a ground up way to do your strategic planning and because you do that you've got ownership and consensus across across the district so when you get those loud people saying, well, we didn't want to do this. Well, yeah, we all said we were going to do this. So, so sorry. So I wanted to point those things out, Jackie. Yeah. I, I do like Kevin's good, bad, and the ugly only because of the Clint Eastwood reference, but I really want to make sure that 
um, a couple of things are articulated about this process. The first one, which Kevin calls the good, which is what's working. It is really important, particularly at the school level, but I think also at the district level, that we codify what we're doing well. We don't do that as educators. We just keep going and going and going. And it's really important to get that not only said, but written down. And to have people, it doesn't matter how insignificant one person thinks a good statement is of something that's working, at least someone said it. So that though this underlying piece of saying that out loud and writing it down is it gives you things to celebrate. So we have a long history in education of school administrators walking into faculty meetings with their list of things to tell people to do. I hope you don't operate that way, honestly, but if you do, at least take one of those things that came out of your what's working list and share it at the beginning of a meeting. Here's an opportunity to let people know they were heard, that something they value and think is important has, is being recognized. If you have a newsletter for faculty and staff, put it in there. Um, you don't have to say who said it, that's not important. What's important is that you celebrate the good things that people recognize happening in your environment and people know that you're doing that. So I don't want you to lose that and, oh, okay, now we know what's working, we move on. No, this is celebration time. On the bad, what's not working, be prepared because it will be the longest list you will have. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> I have literally done this hundreds <laughs> of times in school districts um, across the Southeast and even in international schools. And the ugly is always, sorry, the bad is always, always the longest list. Kevin mentioned um, going back and doing a qualitative analysis. And that doesn't mean that you have to have somebody who's got a strong research background to do that. You can do it very quickly by looking at where you have duplicates and asking the people who have sub submitted those, are these the same thing? so that they know and hear that, yes, when I say the cafeteria is never ready when we get there and someone else says we're always late to lunch, is that the same thing? Because maybe we're late to lunch because the halls are crowded and we haven't scheduled very well. Maybe it is because the cafeteria staff isn't ready on time. That's a pretty simplistic example. But if they're the same thing, then you can cross one out. If they're not, leave them. It is really important not to eliminate something someone has said. And on the ugly, um, where Kevin talks about that as solutions, an important <clears throat> piece of it for me is the ideal. What would be your ideal situation? And the very first time I did this with a faculty, People are like, oh, well, it would never happen anyway. Oh, who cares? Nobody's going to listen. I said, no, 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 no. You need to say what your ideal would be. Because if we don't ever say it, how do we know what we're shooting for? So the first one, of course, is a four-day school week. 
<laughs> and one day a week to plan. That was that one almost always comes up. But you know what? Now people are talking about doing that. And it doesn't necessarily even mean that they wouldn't have the students at school. Maybe that fifth day, whatever it is, um, is a totally different kind of day than we've ever had in schools in America. Maybe it is the um, creative day where children and young people get to do those things that are really their passion. So don't just see it as, oh, we have these problems, now we're gonna have these solutions. First of all, really brainstorm. If you could have your ideal situation, what would that be? And that can help you hear what people are thinking. Again, affirm that people's, what they have to say is important, but then it can lead you to solutions. Yeah, and to piggyback off of that, um, I always tell my folks that when, when you get to the solutions, the ugly, um, go back and look at the good, what what is working, reflect on why that's working. And can you apply some of the reasons why we're successful in some areas to the 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 bad? You know, so if if we're doing something well, let's think about why we're doing it well and what made it work and how can we apply that same thing, if at all possible, to what's not working. Um and Jackie brought up uh, another point about duplicates or, you know, statements that might be a little confusing when you read them and you're always going to get that. Um, one, one that always pops up for me is communication. Um, and, and so it's like, okay, so what, what does that mean? So there, there is a follow-up process that somebody's got to do, whether it's the, the, the principal or uh, whoever the facilitator was of the process. Um, I, I prefer a neutral party. In fact, Jackie was the first one to do it for me. She went back and met with my grade level teams to clarify what they actually meant. And, you know, you're going grade level to grade level and you don't know who said what because it's all anonymous. But, you know, you go to second grade and you say, hey, you know, this was one of the statements. Do you know what that means? Or what do you think that means? And, and as you go through all the grade levels, you, you get clarity on what was actually meant in those, those statements, because they are sometimes very vague. And when, when I do it, I give very specific directions or examples about that. Like, don't, you know, you, you got to think about somebody coming in off the street and they have to be able to understand exactly what you're saying when you write a statement. Um, but yeah, communication is, is always always um a front runner and it's occurred to me and i'm sure my my uh old mentor not that she's old in age but my it's been a long time since she was my mentor uh, but still is my mentor uh jackie um you know this is called digging yourself out of a hole <laughs> yeah i'm trying to i'm trying to find a way to dig myself out now um, um but you've You've you just got to go back and get true clarity on, on what is being said. And, and for me, communication, I've come to realize that communication is really a two-way street. And, and, and we know that, right? But as I've read these in the past, I keep thinking, well, how can I communicate better? How can we as a district communicate better? But then I realized, you know, when they're saying communication, it's, it's, it's symptomatic of a bigger problem that there's not two-way communication. Right. Because it's, it's about the 
it, it, it's got to go both ways. And so if communication is an issue, well, it's on the receiving end and on the delivery end that there's a problem. Um, and so you've got to, you've got to delve through the weeds to, to really get to the root of the problem there, no matter, no matter what, you know, the issue is. Yeah. And Kevin brought up a really important point about the neutrality of the person leading the group. It is possible in a given building that a principal could lead the group because there are principals who have um, enough contact with all of the staff. Usually it's a smaller school, and but not necessarily. Um, but the point of the process is for people to not feel inhibited about saying what they have to say. So it could be led by, at a high school, it could be led by the um, subject area leaders, whatever you call them in your particular district. So the point is you don't want people to feel inhibited that if the principal's the problem, they need to be able to say that. And so having a neutral party to, to, to lead the process can be really important so that you make sure that you're capturing what's happening. The second point I wanted to jump on that Kevin mentioned is this communication. I think it's important that he pointed out that it's kind of a catch-all word. And one of the things that you can try to figure out is it that people aren't listening <laughs> because sometimes things are being said but they're not being heard. That's communication. Communication has to be a two-way street. Someone has to speak, someone has to listen, someone has to respond to that, what is said, and the person speaking has to be willing to listen. We're kind of challenged with that in our society at the moment, in my personal opinion. So I count on educators out there to bring us back to some level of sanity in that whole process. But Kevin also said it's usually symptomatic of a bigger problem. And that's what this process will help you figure out where really is the problem. Yeah, with all that said, I, I'll give a shout out to one of my favorite teachers of all time, Teresa Spann. Um, as, as a very young principal, Miss uh, Spann, Spann as we called her, uh, would come into my office and shut the door and, and let me hear what I needed to hear in a very frank way. Um, and I'll, I'll never forget, she, she came into my office one day and um, we were talking about something I had said at a, uh, at a faculty meeting that just did not, um, you know, what I said did not go into practice. And, you know, she's coming in to, you know, <laughs> lecture me on why it's not working. And I said, well, well, Span, I, I said, da, 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 da. And I said, I know they heard me. And she said, Dr. O'Gorman? They heard you, but they did not receive you. <laughs> and ever since that day, I've, I've had to reflect on how we deliver a message. And just because they heard it or they nowadays read it in an email does not mean they received it. And it's, it's tough to go back and figure out, uh, you know, sort of quantify what was received and what was not received. Um, as you're as you're trying to roll things out. But you make a good point, Kevin. When you're in the role of a school leader, whether it's a 
dean or an assistant principal or a principal, whatever your role is, depending on the size of your school. You have to have people who are willing to tell <clears throat> you what you need to hear. And you have to be willing to receive that. And unfortunately, we have many models in our profession where people align themselves with people who like what they're doing. So the only people they listen to are what we might call their fan club. That's great. You need a fan club. This is tough work you're doing and that we're asking you as a society to do. All of us understand that, at least in this podcast, too. Um, but you also have to have the person who's going to tell you like it is, just like Kevin said, Span did. Um, I was fortunate to have that in every position that I've held, um, some because they self-selected um, as Span did, and some because I had to seek people out who were going to tell me the things that were not going to be said directly to me. And, and to kind of piggyback on that, I'm I'm sorry, Frederick. Uh, the part of this, and I, you know, this sounds like this, you know, fun sort of process. It, it's it's not. It's hard. And I tell principals when we do it, you better put your leather jacket on because you're you're going to hear some things that are going to hurt your feelings, and you just need to go ahead and get ready because um, it it's it, any any problem. Is, is always fingers are going to point at the leader. And a lot of times that's appropriate. And, and, and we need to be ready to receive what they are saying. Um, so, you know, I just want to put an exclamation point on what Jackie said. Yeah. And I think we've been talking about the process as kind of a, a workshopping model, but I know you can gather that initial round of data on the front end, Kevin, I know that you've done it different ways as, as surveys, I think. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I've, I've tried different uh, approaches to get feedback from, from teachers like surveys. Um, you know, uh, you know, there's an accreditation group called Cognia. It used to be called Advanced Ed. They would send these surveys out. You got the state report card. And you just do not get the quality of feedback from surveys that you do through this process. This is very raw. It's very genuine. Um, you know, it's authentic, and it is what I call actionable data. Um, you know, it's coming. It's coming right from their mouths. They are the the boots on the ground, so to speak. And um, it is it is very rich information. Um, and so. You know, the other stuff I, I've just really put aside recently because it just doesn't give me the information I need like this process does. Okay. I, and that's, I would, yeah. I would just add to that. The part of the point of this process is the interaction and the dynamic that happens. People have to feel safe to do this. So for example, Kevin told you that I did that for him at one of the schools where he was principal. And what I had to do was establish myself with that faculty. Um, and here's what I did. And here's what I did with the superintendent who hired me to do this in their district. I said, unless it is immoral or illegal, anything said to me will never be attributed to another person. So I'm smart enough that if the history teacher tells me something that could be tied to the history department, I can rephrase that so that it has a more 
um, generic perspective that could in fact, because maybe it's also true in the math department at the high school and I, they did, just didn't tell me. And I'm not gonna attribute it to anyone because my purpose is to help you move forward. So that's one of the advantages of, I'm not saying you have to have someone come in and do it because I don't know your school climate, but having that neutral party wherever they um, come from helps in that process so that you don't lose the authenticity that comes from that group interaction. Because as soon as one person says something, it sparks an idea in another person. And you don't get that in a survey. Yeah. And, and so, Jackie, when you've done that, do you have the entire faculty together? Or are you working with parts of the faculty, multi, you know, one and then rotate to the other? I've done it both ways. Um, it's easier with a smaller faculty, obviously, to, to do the whole faculty. So I would say in a school of 500 or less students, 500 students or less, um, given what the size of the faculty and staff, and we haven't used the word staff, but don't forget those people. <laughs> you need to do this with the custodians, the office staff, the cafeteria staff, because they are part of the climate of your school. And so don't leave those people out in this process. Um, but in a larger school, you're almost forced into subject areas or grade levels if it's an elementary school, um, just because they're so large. The challenge there is then you, as Kevin mentioned earlier, you really have to have someone who can look at all of that and pull it together um, and making sure that you go back to groups if they said something similar, like the kind of silly example I used about the cafeteria um, and make sure they're saying the same thing. So I think it depends on the size of the school. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I'll say that we, um, <clears throat> we, we sort of graduated this process in Edgefield this year. It's the first time I've ever done it way that we're doing now and we're literally in the in right in the throes of you know this process but uh, so our district is only about 3,100 students um, I've got eight eight schools um, my largest school is almost 800 and my smallest school is about 200 um, so what we did is uh, I actually had an outside facilitator come in and conduct the good the bad and the ugly process I went around to the schools or I had one of my directors do it. I think I did it in all of them except one this time. And, um, you know, talked about the why behind the process and what we were doing. And then I asked all the administrators to leave the room and that outside facilitator, um, you know, managed the process of it. You know, people could be frank and say what they wanted to say without worry that somebody would overhear them, you know, from the administrative staff. Um, and Jackie, I don't think I've even had a chance to tell you about what I've, I've done since then. So I, I gave the principals sort of a recipe of, of what to do. So you get these responses, you, you sort them, uh, you, you color code them based on the, the topic or theme of whatever uh, the responses were. You send those back out to staff, you get clarification on, on what they are. Well, then I brought all my principals together and they brought their results in, their sorted results in as a principal group. And I broke them into elementary and secondary. Uh, and so the elementary folks went through their results together. 
And then they were coming up with a collective, you know, what's the good, what's the bad, and what are the solutions as a district. Um, so principles, you know, and again, it's a pretty raw experience. You've got to open up what's working in your school and, oh, well, that's not in my school or, oh, this is a bad in your school, but it's not a bad in my school. And so they had to reflect on, so is this a school thing? Is this a district thing? Um, you know, so they're really creating their own school strategic plans based on their individual results. But as a district, we are creating a strategic plan based on the principles um, reflection of what is happening across all schools. So I'm, I am totally out of that process. Principles are, are coming up with the collective good, bad and ugly as a district uh, based on their collective results. And it's been pretty, pretty cool to watch. That's great. So this is yeah. the assistant principal podcast. Can we, what do you see as being the assistant principal's role in all of this? Well, they are, they are a major voice on uh, school leadership teams and they should be one of the folks at the table, bringing clarity to, you know, what's being said, uh, helping to filter, um, you know, the statements as sometimes uh, as symptoms and helping identify what the actual problem is. Um, I tell my folks that when you read these statements, it's really an echo of, of what is really happening in the school. And assistant principals are those, you know, they're in and out of classrooms. They know their staff. They know their kids. They know their parents. Uh, and they can a lot of times bring a lot of clarity to what is truly being said in the statements that are, that are being read. Yeah. And I think the larger the school and even in small schools, the assistant principals are a little bit close, tend to be a little bit closer to the ground and also operating in different areas in different ways than the principal. So very much is that, that kind of supplementary. And here's another lens on how we look at this and interpret the data. One of the things, um, you know this, Frederick, I'm not sure if you know, Kevin, but maybe you do. Um, when I was at Western Carolina University in North Carolina, I was on a state committee to redesign the principal preparation programs. And I presented to that group that we redesigned the master's program to be for assistant principals. And those of you who are assistant principals and who have looked at the um, literature on assistant principals, it is still sadly woefully lacking. There's very little. Why is that? Because our preparation programs prepare, in quotes, um, people to become principals, but you don't leave those programs to become a principal for 99% of the people. You leave those programs to become assistant principals. So my argument was, Assistant principals are closest to the classroom. You're the most recently out of direct instruction. You know what this moment is like. Some of you have principals who haven't been in a, teaching in a classroom in 10 years, 15 years, maybe longer. And yes, hopefully they're smart people and they're observant and spend a lot of time in classrooms, but it's not the same. So as the people in that role of administrative leadership who have the most recent classroom experience, you have a lens that is different. 
because now you're seeing the big picture that we don't always see when we're in the classroom. So I encourage you as assistant principals not to forget that teaching lens, that you bring that to the table. You're not always allowed to bring that to the table, sadly. Uh, we kind of pigeonhole you and say, you get buses and you get books and I guess in today's world, everybody gets disciplined, right? But um, don't let that suck you in to the point that you're in a vortex you can't get out of. Because you, for the most part, will have become an assistant principal because you're an effective teacher in curriculum and in classroom management. So you know something about managing that environment. So use that knowledge and think with that lens on when you read these comments from people because you'll know when people are overwhelmed. So that's why they keep saying these, this one thing, whatever it might be, because in this moment they feel overwhelmed. So it's really important to me as an educator, and yes, I'm old, Kevin was being nice, but I haven't left education. <laughs> I've left it employment-wise, but um, I, I literally met yesterday at three o'clock with the superintendent in the school district where I live in Florida. We have 18,000 students here and we have a small community group that's trying to figure out how we can help in a positive way um, to support what's happening with our school board and our superintendent. So I haven't left education just because I'm not in the practice anymore. So please, 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 as assistant principals, don't see yourself as a functionary or in this job till I get the big job. You may not want the big job. I know plenty of assistant principals who don't ever wanna be a principal, but they wanna be a really effective assistant principal. So use that lens of the classroom. And I'll, that, I'll add on to that um, if I can. Uh, I, I do see assistant principals going through the day-to-day -day process of putting out fires and that is the primary role, right? As you know, books, uh, discipline buses, you know, that kind of thing. And and too often I see assistant principals that, you know, they, they go about and they do their job and they think if they're in that job and they don't make many mistakes and, you know, they're, they're seen as doing a quote unquote good job, then in time it's their turn to be a principal where I, I tell assistant principals, you know, really you need to step up above and beyond what your daily tasks are and lead that school. And one of the great things about the good, the bad, and the ugly process is that if, if your school happens to do it, it gives you that opportunity to step in and, and create true systems that impact the overall function of the school um, that does prepare you for a, a bigger leadership opportunity. Yeah, and the results of the process is you have both, you know where those pain points are, but you're also coming out with those those solutions and and we know anytime we're rolling anything out or bringing it back to teachers those assistant principals are going to be key i also want to point out you know jackie the way you kind of summarized really the the role and the incredible value of the assistant principalship i i think listeners understand maybe and get some insight into why we're having a discussion here and and we have you as the esteemed mentor and Kevin and I have both grown so much um, under the mentoring, but also the relationships. And we spent a lot of time in February talking about mentoring. And and I know in a couple of the daily emails, there were things that, that you've told me. 
And, and I just want to point out in this conversation, we're talking about 20 plus years of a relationship. Um, the view with Kevin and I, and also then bringing Kevin and I together, just the power of mentors, um, the ability that you've had to shape us as leaders, and then also all the influence you've had on so many people that have gone before. So I just want to continue to encourage assistant principals and other people listening out there, like learn, be cognizant of the impact that you have with people and that you may have that impact today, but that's just one step in it. And hopefully you'll be having that impact for years to come, even after you have officially, but not unofficially retired from education. So Jackie, thank you for everything that you've given to Kevin and I and everybody else. Well, <laughs> it's not a one-way street. Thank you for that, Frederick. And um, I am a people person and I, was a, I wasn't always the uh, favorite child of a superintendent. <laughs> Good thing Kevin's not my superintendent um, because I'm about kids. And if we're told to do something and it's not right for kids, I speak up. And um, I've had the good fortune to work in many places um, for lots of different, <laughs> lots of different reasons. Um, and one of the things that I value deeply is my personal integrity. And I tell people that it's possible you could go somewhere I've been and you might find someone who didn't like me as a person. I, I don't know, but it's possible. But you won't find anybody who doesn't respect me. And I own that because it's my job for myself to maintain that integrity. So don't lose yours because it's easy to do that in public education, particularly today, you're being assaulted from every side. And I live in the what used to be great state of Florida and um, we are being assaulted. Two of our school board members have been targeted by the governor of this state in the last 48 hours. Um, it's a tough time to be in education. But the chair of our school board, who is one of those people, she is standing up and she is saying, I have always been about children and young people doing right for all students, and I will continue to do that. So just be strong in what you do. Find those people who can support you. We have a mutual admiration society here amongst the three of us. Um, I value what I've learned from Kevin and Frederick. It's not a one-way street. And that's what relationships are about. And that's what dialogue is about. So don't lose that in your day-to-day, -day, what sometimes feels like overwhelming jobs. Yeah. And, you know, so number one, Jackie, I'm pretty sure I would hire you as a principal in my district. So if, if you want to come to Edgefield, South Carolina, you let me know. Um, uh, number two, I, I was in a very large district uh, prior to being superintendent in a very uh, politically charged environment. Um, and there was a lot of turnover at the senior level um, within that district in the seven years that I was there. And my focus was always on kids and doing what was best for kids. It wasn't aligning myself to a particular person, to a particular clique, to the, the group that was in power, the group that was not in power, etc. And I believe it's Truly the, the only reason that I survived um, in my role there in, in those seven years, because uh, there were 13 cabinet members and 
there were only one or two of us that were still there after my seven years in, in that particular district because as Jackie said, you've got to be about kids. And if you're not about kids, you're, you're not about the right thing. Uh, and that's what you're, and it's not about test scores. You know, that's, <laughs> it's funny because I'm an instructional person. I'm an accountability person, but it's not about test scores. I mean, yes, it's about data. It's about uh, what are you doing in, in the best interest of kids, but it's not just about test scores. We, we've got to get beyond that. The data is the tool, not the outcome. And and I would suggest too, I know there are people listening that maybe are just beginning that leadership journey and thinking about applying for assistant principalship. So they may be people moving, looking to move into principalship or transferring into other roles. I would add to what Jackie said is that, that maintaining your integrity, that begins in the interview. And if you fudge your integrity and you try to pretend to be somebody else so you can get that job, you've already lost it by the time you get in. Um, So I think that's a critical point for people. Um, You want to go somewhere where they want who you are, not not somebody else. Yeah. Can I just give you a quick little story? Um, Many, many districts um, in different states have some form of an administrative pool where they kind of help people who are interested in becoming um, administrators in their district. So they get called different things, but it's pretty common here in Florida. And I came to this district as the first behavior specialist. And within two years, the superintendent, I went through the interview process, which included a district interview and a school level interview. And one of the three finalists at the school level was the assistant principal in that building. (laughs) Um, And everyone but me was in the administrative pool. The superintendent appointed me um, as principal of the school. Um, And I didn't have the background that other people had, but I had been a director of special ed. I had been a university professor. I I brought many things to the table that were not traditional as we see them in moving through schools. The superintendent held a meeting of that administrative pool. He had me come to that meeting. I've kind of forgiven him now all those years later. Um, And he said to that pool, we provide you the opportunity to get prepared and learn about and become school leaders. But it's my job as the superintendent to make the best match for the school that I'm trying to appoint a principal to. And that will always be my responsibility. So you don't have to like that I appointed someone who's only been in this district two years, but I made the decision. It was awkward (laughs) to be sitting there. But I tell you that little story to say, you may not get the positions you apply for, but when you don't get that position, don't blame it on yourself or anyone else. Go and learn from that. And if you have the opportunity to talk to your human resources person or whoever's running that, and don't say, what did I do wrong? Say, what could I do better? What do I need to build and grow in so that I'm a viable candidate and match for a given kind of school. So that's part of the integrity piece is owning who you are, where you are at this moment and trying to learn from that. Thank you. And Jackie, once again, you've brought us, you've segued us 
as as we start to close up this discussion, uh, my next question for each of you is actually, what part of your own leadership are you still trying to get better at? Jackie? Saying no. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie, could you do this? Sure. Jackie, could you do that? Sure. Jackie, could you do this? Yes. I am learning to say no. Um, and I, it's kind of funny now because I am retired and I'm doing many different things, but you have to learn that. And it's not because you tell your principal no, it's because you tell yourself no. You can say it in a much better way. You can, I was asked recently to be on a board and I'm already on too many boards. And I said, thank you for thinking of me, but I can't do it at this time. So some form of that, when you feel like one more thing is being piled on you, is to have the ability to say, could we talk about it? I'd like to help. Can we figure out how we can manage that? Thank you. Kevin? Well, apparently it's communication. <laughs> <laughs> Says the good, bad, the ugly. Yeah, yeah. I, um... <sighs> It's interesting being in a, a relatively small district now compared to very the two very large districts and I was in prior to this and things are just they operate differently um, you know it's just that simple and here there's a mindset that um, you know the principal or the superintendent should be accessible to all teachers which I don't disagree with but the board and I have a little bit of a disagreement which I, I think I've Come, I've come around that hill right now, but they they think I should be out in schools talking to you know faculty and staff about district initiatives, and I'm like eh, that's the principal's job, not mine. Um, but at the same time, it's like how do you get teacher voice in, in what I'm doing? How do they know that I'm listening? Um, so we set a we set a rough goal this year for me to go out. And meet with you know PLCs or departments and schools you know throughout the year and you know and I just told them I said you know it just it just doesn't feel right um, and I and I did it for a few months and I'm like yeah this is really not hitting the nail on the head and uh, happenstance I sat in a a read 180 meeting so we had all of our read 180 teachers I won't get into the details of what that program is but there's one read 180 teacher in each school. And they, they'd come together to look at their data and talk about what was working and what was not in terms of the implementation of that particular program. And I was invited to have lunch with them. And so I went and had lunch with them and it segued into this conversation about all things going on in the district. You know, we've got a modified calendar now. What, where are we with a common curriculum? You know, all that kind of stuff. And one of the powerful things about that conversation was that because there were uh, seven different teachers there who all taught the same thing. They assumed that everything was being done the same way in their classrooms or in their school, right? So kind of like the good, the bad, and the ugly, they started to realize they all came with a different perspective. And having that candid conversation with them over a casual lunch allowed me to clarify uh, some things and also to receive some things, as Span would say, from them um, about what was going on throughout the district. So since then, I said, you know what, this works. So every week I invite a, a grade level to come have lunch with me. There's one representative from each school. So I started with kindergarten. So I've done kindergarten, pre-K, 
I'm actually doing uh, first grade next week, second grade, third grade, and going all the way up. And I'm, I'm just allowing principals to send one representative to come and have lunch. Uh, we're actually going over the good, the bad, and the ugly results as sort of a conversation starter. It's like, hey, here's what y'all said. Here's what principals did in terms of qualitative sort. Talk to me about what you think about this or let's talk about something totally different if you want to. Uh, and that's that looks like it's going to be a powerful practice by the time it's all said and done. All right. Thank you. And I guess before we sign off, is there anything else that you'd like to say to listeners? Jackie? Just keep doing what you're doing. We need you leading our schools and um, supporting children and young people in particular and the teachers who serve them um, to make each of our communities a good place for all of us to live. So thanks for all you do. Kevin? Uh, to assist the principal specifically, I would give the advice of pick up the phone and call somebody. Um, don't, don't worry that you don't know the answer to a problem. <laughs> I, I find most people that end up getting dismissed or terminated is because they didn't, they didn't pick up the phone and ask a question. Uh, my best principals are the ones who will call anybody and everybody to find the right answer. And it goes back to that mentorship. You know, you've, you've got to find those people who will always or most often give you a good answer or good advice and, you know, keeping those in your arsenal when, when a problem does arise. So don't, don't be afraid to ask a question. Don't be afraid that, you know, somebody might think you don't know what you're doing because you, every situation is different. So pick up the phone and call somebody. And sometimes, Dr. O'Gorman, they tell you what you don't want to hear. That's right. They do. <laughs> and sometimes, Dr. Jacobs, they'll throw it right back at you and just say, <laughs> so what are you going to do about that? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Kevin, if people want to reach out and learn more about the process, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Uh, you, can, you can call me at uh, in Edgefield County, or you can just shoot me an email. It's uh, K-O-G-O-R-M-A-N at Edgefield County Schools with an S dot org. Uh, we are actually doing a presentation at the uh, South Carolina Association of School Administrators Conference uh, in June at Myrtle Beach on, on this very topic. All right. Wow. Thank you. Anybody want to go to Myrtle Beach this summer? <laughs> Jackie, I know you've got a lot going on, so share how people can get in touch with you and maybe also a little bit about some of the other work that you're doing because there is work, life, and joy after retirement. Yeah, there is. Um, so you can reach me at jejletters, all one word, at gmail.com. Um, I have written books and articles as an academic, um, but now in my real retired life. Um, I'm enjoying writing novels. I've written a six series novel called Love is a Cabin. Um, so my website for that is loveisacabin.com. And they're set in the Great Smoky Mountains. So um, I'm having a good time being creative and just kind of wish I had taken um, a step back in all those years I spent as an educator employed educator. Um, and you never leave it, I'll tell you that now. Um, um, really developing that creative process. So take a little time for yourself. Jackie, Kevin, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for the opportunity. And thanks for having us. All right. Wow. What a show. We covered a lot of ground and there were so many words of wisdom embedded throughout. As always, I'm going to ask you to act on what you've just heard. Here are a couple ideas. If you're struggling with a decision or process, follow Kevin's advice and pick up the phone and call someone. Consider sharing the good, bad, and ugly process with someone who has the power to implement it, and then have the discussion about whether or not it's right for your school or for your district. You might begin by explaining what you've heard to someone or simply forwarding this podcast and encouraging them to listen. And if this is something that you want to pursue, I encourage you to reach out to Kevin and ask about facilitators that he knows that could do this process for you. And it's something that I could do. So you can certainly reach out to me and we can talk about it further. Finally, try an informal version of the good, the bad, and the ugly. It isn't as valuable, but it's something you can do right now. It's a mentally viable process, an MVP version. As you're interacting with teachers, especially while you're doing five-minute coaching sessions, just add this one question. If we could snap our fingers and fix one thing, what would it be? And then just listen and reflect on what you learn. Thank you for including me on your leadership journey. Remember that you can walk more with me by subscribing to my daily leadership email and to this podcast. I love hearing from listeners, so please email me at frederick at frederickbuskey.com and share a takeaway, story, suggestion, or question. And please, if you have not reviewed and rated this show, please take a minute to do so. Maybe as you pull into your drive, take a minute before you get out of the car and either email me with something, send me a voice memo, or review and rate the show. I look forward to seeing you again on Friday when we recap this week's daily emails. I'm Frederick Buskey, and thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Assistant Principal Podcast. Cheers. <laughs>